Thank you so much for downloading this episode of So What Do You Really Do? The podcast where I, your host, Jedder Dennis Maller, speak with artists and entertainers about their day jobs. And on this episode of the podcast, we are talking to the founders of The Hard Times, one of my favorite satirical websites, one of my favorite websites to read just in general. Uh, there is not a day goes by where I, one of my friends who are a musician don't post a Hard Times article online. Uh, and we all look at it and went, yeah, that's too real. Uh, or that's uh, very relatable. Or if my situation is usually, damn, I wish I wrote that headline. <laughs> so um, I did this interview in conjunction with Dig Boston. So if you want to read the shortened interview version, you can by going to digboston.com or picking one up at your local newsstand here in the Boston area uh, right now. Or go online and read it, digboston.com. This is the full unedited conversation between Matt Sancom and Bill Conway, founders of The Hard Times. Matt was a uh, previously a journalist uh, at San Francisco Weekly, SF Weekly, doing music blogs. And Bill was a comedian doing a podcast. They met and uh, they decided they wanted to start a comedy website. And God damn, did they nail it. I had a real good fun time talking to the guys. Uh, and I'm glad I got to do it because they're going to be here in Boston on November the 6th, plugging their new book, uh, The Hard Times, The First 40 Years. You'll hear them talk about it. Uh, I'm really excited that uh, I can't wait to read this book because it's a uh, uh, fictional first 40 years of the publication. So as they describe it, it's all the best articles from the past uh, five years and then a whole bunch of new made up articles for the 60s, 70s, 80s and 90s. Which, uh, or I probably not 60, I think it was 70s, 80s, and 90s. Uh, yeah, they, they, it was a zine that started in 1967, as if they were a zine that started in 67. So I love that. That's a lot of thought and effort and uh, talent that goes into having to write something like that. So I'm excited to read it. You can pick it up online, of course, from Huffington Milton Harcourt Books. Go online, you'll find the links. And of course, links to the book and tickets to their book signing talk here at Brookline Booksmiths here in Boston uh, will also be in the description. So please enjoy my conversation with founders of the hard times, Matt Sancom and Bill Conway. Hello. Hi, Bill. It's Dennis from Dig Boston. Hey, Dennis. How are you? Good. Let's go ahead and get your uh, compadre on the line. already recording so i will not say the phone number out loud as i'm dialing it <laughs> oh you mean nine two fives <laughs> hey this is matt hi matt it's dennis from dig boston how are you uh i should have both of you online now hello matt and bill matt are you there you piece of shit you owe me money you dirty bastard oh, oh here we go here we go again you motherfucker you're you're so lucky this is over the phone <laughs> Yep, that sounds about like uh, that sounds about how conversations between uh, punks and comedians go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, let's uh, start on that because you guys come from, I guess, slightly different but similar uh, backgrounds. Um, being that uh, Matt, you're a uh, you came from a writing background because uh, mm -hmm. you were a writer originally for San Francisco Weekly, doing the uh, music section. Yeah. Yeah, I was an uh, editor over there. I was a music editor. 
I come from a more working class background, and Bill comes from a soft, posh background. Oh, oh this is this is rich. <laughs> oh, oh. So is your oh, family? Man, Bill. Rewriting history. <laughs> uh, so, so my family that made all their money, uh, uh, see, uh, paving driveways, uh, working for Tilcon in Massachusetts. Well, Matt's uh, college educated family over there. I don't know what they do. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> neither of my neither of my parents went to college. My dad loves air conditioners, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, hey, 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 Matt, tell him about my dad. Where's my dad right now? <laughs> Fucking dead. Jesus Christ. Oh, way to go. Way to bring that up, Matt. I like how you're trying to uh, 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 out punk each other uh, by saying who's more <laughs> punk roots uh, than the other. <laughs> yes, please put please put in the article that I'm more punk. <laughs> um, so Only yeah, the with, less punk of the two would say something like that, so we know the truth. <laughs> so really, what we're trying to find out is who here is the uh, one with the trust funds and Doc Martens. So, <laughs> wow. Matt's got at least but, the Doc Martens. What are those new boots you just got? No, no. I went to go get Doc Martens, and then I, I text a picture of them to some of my skinhead friends, and they were like, "Oh, those are." Those are the shitty ones. They're made in China now. They're made out of plastic. They fall apart in a year. And they told me I had to go get Solo Bear, which is like it's made in the original factory that they made Doc Martens. But um, it's like by the original crew. And they're more expensive. But apparently they're put together better and they last longer. So I picked up a pair of those. And then, Bill, I didn't tell you this. I what posted happened? a picture of my Solo Bear uh, boots on like Twitter and Facebook and stuff. And it turns out I'm connected through social media from one of the people who work at Fred Perry and they messaged me and they're like, man, we got better boots than that. We'll send you some boots for free. I was like, Oh boy. So yeah, that's right. Yeah, you're both talking to an influencer just so you're just so we're clear here. Um, man, is there uh, the only other statement that's more white than saying a white guy with a man bun is uh, saying you're an Instagram influencer. <laughs> I'm an influencer. Uh, very powerful one. I got free boots. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna be super annoying about it. I'm like on my own dollar. I'm gonna like hire a photo shoot about it and like have hella hashtags that are like making my own campaign about it. Yes, pay pay out of your own pocket for the photo shoot, but don't pay for the boots themselves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, you, uh, you, so you're the writer at SF Weekly, but what your big viral take was? You did an interview with a guy uh, who apparently wrote a book about having sex with dolphins. Yeah, that was Bill. Hey, 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 easy. All right. I never, what I do in the privacy of my own home. I don't know if there's any dolphins with that bad of a taste. (laughs) Oh, oh. um, Hey, hey, we just met. Hold on a second. Yeah. I, uh, I, uh, wrote this article about this guy who had sex with a dolphin and went crazy viral around the world a hundred times. I'm I'm sitting there watching the share counter go up. The, uh, publisher tells my editor this is the greatest hit on the website in the last two years whatever you know other editors are hitting me up i need you to do a piece for me you know they made a documentary film someone made a, a documentary after seeing that particular article this is man, how did you even how did you get turned on to that guy in the first place like were you just a fan of his other animals he had fucked before or <laughs> i go we go way back in the dark web an old pile of mine no um we're he buddies was from sending out his own press releases. <laughs> he was sending out his own press releases to journalists all over the place. And uh, he just wanted to do like a, a phone call, but I decided to meet up with him in a hotel room, get the, get the full Anyways. Um, Hopefully the hotel didn't have you know, a pool. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, so I, was, I was like, I was pretty excited that my comedy, because it was like, I, I wrote it as like a joke, was doing so well. But, um, I realized, okay, so this thing's going crazy viral. 
right? And it's the biggest hit on the website in the last two years. I only got paid $35 to write it. <laughs> and I started to think, um, you know, I, I paid for the gas to get there. I took the photo. I bought the camera, right? You know, I did the writing. Uh, it's my sense of humor. Uh, how hard could it possibly be to just have my own website where if things go viral, then I'm the one who catches all the upside. And uh, that that begins the, the start of me wanting to have my own website. All right, perfect. I got you to say the uh, the soundbite that I needed. On to Bill. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Bill, the uh, it's, it's, so I'm I, I'm not quite sure where your background is with this because uh, apparently you were uh, your publicist made sure to tell me that you were a comedian here in Boston prior to. Um, but I also know that you were. I guess is that did you meet Matt when you lived in San Francisco? So yeah, I, I had I had never actually done comedy well. I, I I moved away from Massachusetts before I actually started doing comedy. Uh, Matt and I met after um, I started a podcast uh, when I lived in Portland while I was doing stand up there, and that's how Matt and I met was through that podcast, and we remained friends, and then. Uh, you know, acquaintances more or less. We I don't think we talked a single time from the between the podcast to the start of the hard times, but I just happened to see he made a post about uh, wanting to start a website one day, and then I said, uh, "Let's, uh, I'm in. Let's do it." And then, sure enough, him and I got together, and the hard times became what it is. Okay. And by the way, just for for reference, is it Portland, Oregon, or Portland, Maine? Oregon, yeah. Okay. I've been on the West Coast uh, since I was 23. Okay, because here in Boston, it drives me crazy whenever I mention Portland. They're like, oh, in Maine. I'm like, no, Portland, Oregon. And they're like, oh, there's another <laughs> Portland? I'm like, that is the Portland that everyone knows. What are you talking about? Uh, I, I'm from Baltimore. I live in Boston, and I hate people from New England, so they drive me bonkers <laughs> up here. Because um, they think nothing exists past Worcester. Right, right, and in in you don't even want to go to that part of the. St- I had to go to a wedding back in Worcester uh, a couple months ago, and it was the worst day of my life. But uh, you know, it's fine. I just did. Uh, they now have a comedy festival in Worcester called uh, Witten Wootenanny. They're trying to mix uh, the word Hootenanny and Worcester together, and it just becomes a word that nobody yeah. can pronounce. Um, yeah, that's awful. <laughs> I was doing the show out there, and I was looking. I was like, you know, it's quaint that uh, Worcester has not aged at all architecturally since the seventies. So it's both quaint and um, terrifyingly depressing. Yes. Yes. That's, that's the phrase. Um, so let's start with that. Uh, you know, your impetus for creating a, a satirical website was that, Hey, I wrote something that was funny and Hey, I am somebody that goes out and does comedy. Let's go ahead and create our own comedy. Was there any satirical influences you had growing up? Like for me, Crack Magazine and Mad Magazine were what I loved, and that helped shape and formulate my comedic sensibility. That I'm, sta- you know, I'm a stand-up now too. So I had that influence from that and other sources. Was there anything in particular that you, when starting this, was like, "Hey, I'm I'm doing the new Mad Magazine, or I'm doing the Punk Rock Onion"? Like, was there anything from your past that uh, you want to cite as an influence for creating your satirical type of humor? Yeah, I mean, me personally, I I kind of, you know, growing up in Massachusetts, whenever I had a friend go to New York, I would demand that they bring a hard hard copy of The Onion back home um, because they were on newsstands. uh, Yeah, you and me are old enough to remember when The Onion was an actual physical newspaper. Other people don't know that. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, that, the Onion obviously a, a huge influence. And uh, when I first discovered them, probably in like the year 2000, when I was in, still in high school, it just you know blew me away. But uh, you know, outside of I mean, there's your standard things. I mean, I'm 35, so obviously the early Simpsons seasons are the most important comedic uh, thing in my life. Uh, and I I just I just did the um, Herculean task of finishing every season of The Simpsons. So I've currently watched every episode of The Simpsons, which is uh, not not fun, not not a fun thing to do. Uh, <laughs> uh, and Bill, yeah, um, or uh, uh, Matt, rather, sorry. I uh, yeah, I didn't really read Onion, Cracked, or Mad Magazine, so, um, and uh, I didn't. Yeah, I don't really have any influences. Like, you know, my influences are more like uh, Brace from War Crime. He was the front man of War Crime in my local punk scene, and he did a whole bunch of satirical stuff on stage. And like maybe Hoagie from Omega. They're a, um, a hardcore band from Canada uh, with this charismatic front man who did like satirical deconstruction of uh, live performance uh stuff um he did some he did some really creative fun stuff and then i got into that sort of stuff so i i have more admired you know kind of a generic to say but you know like andy kaufman and you know brace bell and hoagie from uh omega i just more like uh characters who i thought were doing funny satirical stuff but i never really got too deep into the written satirical word before no, it's a good. Uh, that's that's a good answer because you're coming from somewhere else, so you have different influences. Uh, it was great, which actually brings me to my next question. Uh, uh, punk rock comedy cage match. Who do you have? Are you going uh, as in whatever you think the 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 the, the uh, determination on why you come to it is? Uh, Henry Rollins, Joe Seb, or Fat Mike from No Effects? Who do you think's winning that? comedy cage match out of those three punk rock guys i well i i think if it's a comedy cage match um and you're gonna want to get the the most laughs per minute i think joe is gonna win because he's the most seasoned comedian uh i think henry could punch the other two um (laughs) and easily win there and maybe, maybe Mike, uh, the, so here's the other thing. The only other way Mike would win is if they have to, if those two guys have to distance themselves so far from Mike, cause he said something so shitty <laughs> that they have to leave the cage as to not be associated with him. <laughs> I've never, I've never seen any of fat Mike stand up stuff. I know he's experimented with it before. I think oh, I, I could didn't... be wrong here, but I think that Joe, I think that Joe would probably, uh, Joe would probably win in the comedy section, but I think he'd also probably win in a, in a, if it was an actual fight, right? Mm, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, he's kind of a shorter guy, I think, but I've never seen I've, – I've only been in a room with Joe personally. So uh, – and, you know, I did the thing where I – Henry's, like, Henry's kind of take... old now. <laughs> Henry's kind of old now, right? Well, yeah, I, I mean, know, Henry, he, still he stays in shape. I mean, you take that, uh, that fucking testosterone replacement therapy stuff and – you can stay young forever. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's technically like twenty years old. <laughs> Henry Rollins sucks off the blood of young punks. Uh, yeah. By the way, has Fat yeah, exactly. Mike has Fat Mike actually done stand up? I just picked him in this match because I think the stage banter between him and his uh, bandmates is usually pretty hilarious. 
I mean, when he's not yeah, talking yeah. about uh, think- how country fans sh- uh, he's glad that country fans were shot up at that. <laughs> personally, I, personally, I think that was his funniest bit. I don't give, I don't give a fuck. Um, I was there with that. I was, I was laughing. Um, you know, that Mike has done a couple stand-up things, I think, and he's hosted uh, some stand-up events, and I think uh, Dave Ross did some of them. Dave Ross like, hosted a a stand-up series for Fat Records, I believe. And I think Toki the Clown, which is a Fat Mike character, did some stuff. Um, so, yeah, I think he's got some experience. And Henry Rollins did, like, his stand-up thing, which was more like a spoken word yeah. thing that was very bizarre. Um, yeah, he, I mean, he does so storytelling, which is very comedic just because yeah. it's hilarious situations. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I would say probably Joseph. Um. So let's talk about this because you're 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 uh, or, you know let's let's stay with satirical stuff first. Uh, what uh, since you guys have been working on this newspaper uh, for what five years now, um, you have the new book coming out about it. As the editors of a satirical website that takes submissions from other people, what makes for a good satirical article? That you think? What are the elements that need to be there to make uh, a good satirical thing? Yeah, for for that, I definitely think it has to have, I mean, the most important thing is like a point of view and actually, I think the best uh, headlines we have done were, are where they actually, first, it's like a reference people can relate to. It's not super obscure, but then actually having a point to what it's saying that you can, you know, satire, you're supposed to understand on a couple of different levels. It can't just be, I mean, we get so many submissions of people that just want to make a joke about like, pit beef being vegan and i'm just like no we're not gonna run a vegan pit beef article like nobody cares about vegan pit beef and i'm sick of it um so uh <laughs> so I, I would say as long as it's not vegan pit beef it's probably pretty good but that's what it comes down to uh yeah you know i think at this point too the thing that makes a good satirical article in my mind is it's um an original take and that's kind of hard to do the internet is such that there's just millions of people making the same joke at any time any news event happens about 10,000 people make the same joke and they all think that they invented it um so one of the hard things nowadays is trying to get a really original take that's still powerful um because the first 10 obvious jokes are already trending on twitter you know and so even if they work and they're kind of a good joke, and of course Twitter liked them, those don't; those are no longer good satirical takes, in my in my opinion. Which is why the Borowitz report sucks so bad because he just goes <laughs> with the most obvious take every single time. Um, and what to you guys makes a difference for uh, something that uh, for an idea that is this is a headline only gag as opposed to a full story gag. Uh, we don't do headline only. We will oh. only do full stories. Um, oh, because I thought so, I, I remember. I've, I will be honest with you guys. I've attempted a couple of times to try and put together submission packets for you guys, and my brain just doesn't work the way that you're right. It, like I love your website. Every time I read one of your, uh, every time something comes across my zeitgeist from one of your articles, I just go, "Fuck! I wish I wrote that." Um, <laughs> I love everything that you guys put out, and I've tried to keep doing submission right. packets. I just can't fulfill it. Um, cause I know in the submission packet, it asks for X amount of headlines, two stories, and mm-hmm. then like three pitches or so, something like that. Yeah. So right now we, we don't even have that story. Like we don't even ask for the, uh, 
we changed the it. full story anymore because yeah, it, we've discovered that we can kind of teach people a little bit how to write it, you know, a little bit with our system as opposed to, uh, uh, you know, that, that old way. So we just really have the 10 headline ideas, but going back to that, like if it's, we have an editorial meeting every week and we discuss each headline that makes it to the editorial meeting. And if we, even if we think the joke is funny, but we sit there and go, what is this article about? And we can't figure out how we would write 350 words to support it. Then we won't approve that particular article. You know, it's just, uh, it would just be like, yeah, that's a funny tweet. We'll just tell the author that with a person do, we submitted this just go tweet it and see if you get 15 likes on twitter or whatever <laughs> yeah you know it's a there's this interesting idea i think it's like has a little bit to do with puns and wordplay and stuff that just kind of looks good you know there's like this there's certain headlines that people craft where it's like it tells the complete joke 100 percent in the headline there is no need for a body and uh, we don't need those so we don't really use them. Um, our goal is if you if you look at the headline and you laugh, you sh- there's another laugh inside the story, right? And uh, there's some depth there, and there's some things that you know, uh, like there's some uh, exaggerations and uh, punch ups in there that are. If you like the headline, you should like the article. And I actually think the Onion has made a little bit of a mistake. Um, they used to do print stuff, and so they had some stuff that was just headlines that no, no bodies to the articles, and they like still do that, but they do it online, and it feels so weird because you see it, you like it, and then you click on it, and you don't get rewarded. You just go, "What the fuck?" And then <laughs> there's nothing here, and then you leave. Um, so we we made a decision pretty early on that all of our stuff was going to have uh, 300 extra words of jokes in there. Uh, what are, other than vegan pit beef? What other uh, repetitive submissions have you guys received from people? Uh, the other most popular one is like um, a ska band van accident kills thirty seven or something like that. You know, because uh, ska bands have a lot of members. Um, <laughs> uh, Keith Morris donating his hair to Locks of Love and then Locks of Love being shut down uh, because he has dreadlocks. Uh, yeah. So that's another one we've seen a lot. And then what are the, there's another one, Matt, that we were talking about not too long ago that we see a lot, but doesn't really get any shine. Mm. I can't remember what it was, but there's a, there's a few different that, that we, we get a lot. Uh, if you pitch Matt a headline about somebody removing their rib to be able to fillet themselves, Matt loves those headlines. Those are his favorite uh, headlines <laughs> of all time. Uh, he goes nuts for anybody that's removed a rib. <laughs> he goes yeah. nuts for anyone who can reach their nuts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about bad puns, by the way. Okay. <laughs> uh, have you guys ever had a... a just an idea or a nugget or a pitch that you're like, I love this, but I can't figure out how to make it work. Like every comedian has that joke that they tell and it just dies and they haven't figured out how to make it work. And it just bombs every single time. And they love it. The audience is don't, and they're still trying to figure out through their entire career, how to make this one premise work. Are there any pitches or any pitches or headlines or ideas um, similar to that? <laughs> Uh, it's it's kind of tough to 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 gauge that with like because we're doing daily content and you know and there's some stuff that does get a lot of 
uh, likes and then it won't get a lot of likes, but we, we don't, it's, it's not the same feedback as with comedy where it's like right in your face immediately. And you know, whether or not you should continue on this, this track. Uh, so I, I think it's kind of tough to compare the two, at least in my experience, I don't think there's like that, uh, so far, I haven't run across one that's like that, that nut that I haven't been able to crack yet. Um, because, you know, even if we do crack it, it bombs. It's just, hey, we'll move on to the next one, uh, sort of, sort of mentality. Yeah. I mostly just give up on mine if they don't work. You know? <laughs> I, I think, I think that that's honestly, that's pretty much the better route. You should probably try a couple times if you really think there's something there. But if you can't make it work, if you force it, it's not going to work. You know, if you really force it, uh, the audience is not going to appreciate it because. Oh, you know what? You, you know which ones are kind of like that dad band jokes. Like we've we've tried to do jokes oh, about yeah. dad bands, and we find them funny, and then the audience will kind of just be like, "Yeah, don't care about dad bands." Speaking of dad bands, have you guys ever seen the uh, SNL sketch about uh, corrosion of conformity? Oh, uh, yes. Oh, Crisis of conformity. Crisis of conformity. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah. That I love that. I, every couple of months, I just watch that sketch because I'm at the age where that is starting to become a reality where my friends' <laughs> kids are getting closer and closer to marriage age. And I'm pretty sure, you know, one of my uh, you know former hardcore bands that I managed or was friends with are going to just play their daughter's wedding and jump into, jump into yeah. the wedding cake. <laughs> we had, we had Fred Armisen on our podcast. Um, I love that. I love the part where he goes, uh, my little Maddie, my little baby girl, love you so much. Thank you for letting dad come up here and make a fool of himself. And then they, then they kick it off and he just goes, Dad! He just like puts his foot right to someone's glass or whatever. Like he, uh, I think it's it, twice he knocks the glasses out of uh, uh, Kenan Thompson's hands. And the second time he gets really, like, that's how brilliant Kenan Thompson is, is he sold that look twice hysterically. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. Everybody like, that hates on like, SNL does not realize that how good Keenan actually is. You know what? Go that that man is a hero. Oh, he's been doing sketch comedy longer than anybody in the business. He's been doing it since he was like fifteen, and he's what forty five now. He's been doing it thirty yeah. years. Yeah, nobody has the life that he has. Like, uh, it's such a unique uh, career. I just love, I just love when the lyrics come in and it's just so out of time. Or it's like, yeah, when Ronald Reagan comes out, <laughs> yeah, it's like so cool. It's like it's a total flashback. Oh uh, yeah, no, where it's like early hard, like it's early hardcore. We're like, we hate the government and the government. It's the government from forty years ago. What is it? What is it still? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like going back to listening to uh, Green Day's Kerplunk. You're like. Yeah, I, that wasn't political, but it's like that's such a high school freshman at, at attitude record. And you go back now. I'm 38. I go back and listen now. I was like, oh yeah, that was I like when I was 15. This was my everything. Now it just seems so out of place. <laughs> oh, now yeah, do you have? Is there a oh, uh, is there an early punk record that you go back and look at now that you're older and just go, man, what was I thinking liking this back then? Um, no, man, my taste, has, my taste hasn't never evolved. I'm a, I'm a stunted <laughs> individual. <laughs> um, is there, uh, when it comes to pitches, is there anything in a different music genre that you end up having to reject, um, or thinking like, Hey, that's kind of not our brand to use a word that makes me hate myself. Um, um 
there's been some like you know uh hip-hop uh articles that you know have like headlines that have been pitched we, we we've done a couple but we don't really dive too deep in into that world all that much uh but uh, as far as you know hardcore and punk subgenres we'll, there's really not one that we haven't touched i'd certainly like to do more genres um it's just kind of punk is punk hardcore and that's our subculture stuff it's kind of just who we are you know so that's what's on our mind and that's what we're pitching but uh, we've, we've done a lot of rock stuff um i'd like to branch out even more uh i think that i think that people are not as confined as they used to be i think that people have diverse interests and that headlines from other music genres would do well on our platform and um i, I wish we we could do a little bit more um but we're, we are very much you know we come from a certain world you know what i mean um but I, I, in the future i see us doing even more of a, a variety of type of musics um i feel like there's a lot of uh, open room there and other people aren't doing it and we could probably do it better. So. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And mostly I was wondering if other people, you know, submit things like, Hey, here's, here's a sat- satirical article I wrote about third eye blind. And you're like, uh, <laughs> no, for so many well, you reasons. Know, I feel like, I feel like we would, if they had a really good take on third eye blind, I feel like we would, we would run it. I so think bad. the problem is, is that is that we're not going to be able to understand the intricacies of bands like that. We're not going to be able to understand the subtleties. So we're so our third eye blind take is probably going to it's probably going to be something about wordplay, about fourth eye blind, you know what I mean, something like that. And um, and that stuff just isn't as powerful. And with the punk stuff, this is you know we've actually lived this 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 life. We've been a part of that world, so um, we can take a little bit of a deeper take. And I think that's what people appreciate. So it's kind of like in order to run a really, really top-notch third-eye blind uh, headline. I think I'd, you know, like I need a new team of fucking... What is what is third-eye blind? Like, alt-rock? I need to go need to build a new team of alt-rockers. And I don't even know if that exists. Um, um, is does there... anyone consider themselves like, I'm a really big... I'm really big into alt-rock. I think this is people, right? It's just like, we're going down to the beach. What should we put on? You know, just yeah. alt-rock is good. It, it's people I've never like thought for themselves and said, like, yeah, I want to seek out yeah. music. It's just like, just, just put something in my head. Yeah. When I think of like, I mean, I, you brought them up as an example, but for me to that, you know, third eye blind, um, and other, you know, um, Dishwalla and other bands from that, like early nineties that were playing on alt rock, but pop stations is like alt pop rock to me where it's like, it's not like Pearl jam, but it's not like a dog contemporary. It's kind of in the middle. Um, so I don't know if that's a genre of music, but that's what I, refer, you know, like when I think of alt rock, I think of, you know, um, um, Elvis Costello and, um, mm-hmm. and, uh, what's his name? Uh, um, is she really going out with him? Joe Jackson, um, and mm-hmm. stuff like that. When I think of like late eighties stuff or like letters to Cleo, I think of them as alt rock because they're, you know, you know, I think of bands who aren't personally, and I don't know why we're having this discussion, but I brought it up. Um, bands that are good rock bands, but kind of obscure, I think are more alt rock. Whereas, you're right. The, the, uh, so I guess third eye blind would be like alt, yeah, like alt pop rock. Yeah. yeah. Which well, we we do have a headline coming out uh, soon. Gin blossoms play entire set of goo goo doll songs to see if anyone notices. Uh, so, um, awesome. Um, and by the way, uh, I hi- highly support the doing a satirical hip hop uh, uh, thing in the future. If you guys ever want to do that, um, 
Yeah. Let's stay on the topic of music before I get to the heavy questions. Um, so for me, somebody who grew up uh, with a bunch of, uh, uh, you know, listening to punk rock and having friends who are in punk rock bands and for a short period of time managing punk rock bands, um, there is no horror movie I've ever identified more than with uh, Green Room, uh, which stars mm-hmm. Patrick Stewart. Because <laughs> that mm-hmm. was like that. Was, I, I know that lifestyle. I know that you know, siphoning gas to get to the next show or uh, scrounging mm-hmm. money together. Um, or even just being at a, a, having to be at a show with a bunch of fucking neo-Nazi skinheads um, and either mm-hmm. trying to get out alive or walking out with a bloody nose because you pop three or four of them in the face. Uh, did a mo- mm-hmm. Is there anything else in mainstream media that for you guys, I assume, and you can say yes or no, that that movie... Um, um, you empathize with the characters in that movie. I'm sure you live something similar. Is there anything else in mainstream media other than Green Room that is a true, honest look at what some of us had to have dealt with in our lives uh, of being a punk band on the road? Hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, you, you you would think like, you know, SLC punk, but that's all cheesy as hell when yeah. you look back on it. Uh, the, the closest thing I've come to it was like, there was an episode of like NPR's Invisibilia or something that ran where they talked about the Richmond hardcore scene and it wasn't terrible. Like they didn't approach it. Like, look at these meatheads that are just punching each other. So it was like an interesting listen. Um, but uh, as far as mainstream, I think they always get it wrong. I mean, there's a Taco Bell commercial that's running right now. I don't know if you guys have seen it. That's like a punk band singing about they want tacos. And it's like the worst thing in the history of television. Oh, Jesus. That's like yeah. that's like the big thing you relate to. Yeah, well, I can really relate to a Taco Bell commercial. Um, like I feel like all I can hear yeah. in my head is Cobra Skulls playing. That's <laughs> there was one band yeah, that so could I... be in a in a Taco Bell commercial. It's Cobra Skulls. So I guess you know, Green Room. I got to go see that. Actually, I was still a journalist, and they invited me out. And I got to go see the premiere, and they gave me a T-shirt, and it was cool. I had a great time. Uh, I really like that movie. Um, you know, mainstream, does mainstream stuff even exist anymore? I feel like everything is just like, everyone lives in their own little bubble, of like niche, whatever. Like if you go on my Twitter or my Facebook or like my streaming services, there is a whole bunch of stuff that like directly relates to my life. I, I don't think subculture exists anymore. I think the, the internet is just, you can find it, you can be and find anything you want immediately. You'll find I, if I wanted to just turn into like a cyber goth, I could have a hundred cyber goth friends by the end of the week. You know what I mean? I could be going to cyber goth parties. It's, uh, Matt, listen, Matt, all... cyber goths aren't gonna like you, man. Like you know, like I, <laughs> like maybe you could have like four cyber goth friends by the end of the week, but yeah. it's probably right. Probably right. I mean, let's say in the end of a month, once I really change my personality to fit okay, their that's fair. value system. Yeah, um, you know, so I don't even really look for mainstream. Like I don't have, I don't have cable. Um, I go to movies. I'm trying to think of any. Has there been any movies recently about um, yeah, touring band? No, I, I feel like uh, I, I can't think of any uh, any punk representation. I mean, we we actually talk about that in the book. Like, there's a uh, an article from like the '80s that we put out where it's like Congress demands that every punk character be named Spike or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I just maybe, maybe that's why people like hard times because there's nothing else, there's nothing else out there that has that fucking yeah. uh, subcultural root. <laughs> I live in I live in LA now, and like anytime I see that stuff, I just I'm like, just just hire me for the day, just so I can just be the person that says, yeah, somebody would wear that or act like that. Please, uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ, uh, pay me to be a consultant. Can I get paid to be a punk rock consultant, please? <laughs> yeah, that's all I want. That's it. You know. Yeah, man. Anyone reading this article who wants to hire hard times to make you more authentic in the punk world, we will do it. <laughs> hard times, punk consultants. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I feel like that's the that's the next reality show coming from uh, TLC is uh, the the uh, what was it? Um, uh, punk, punk guy for punk guy for the bland guy. <laughs> yeah, we'll just, we'll just put a bunch of leather jackets on people, stud it up real good, and then they'll just be like, oh, I kind of hate everything right now. Why do I hate my parents all of a sudden? <laughs> we might this be writing really funny, a new article uh, between the three of us right now. <laughs> there's this really funny article on WikiHow that's like like how to be a punk or something like that, and there's like 70 steps, and it's like, number one, find a leather jacket. Get one from a used store. Don't use pyramid stud. Use cone stud. It's just like, it's really fucking funny. Um, <laughs> like, walk you through how to become a punk. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. Uh, so, the the converse. Other, uh, well, well, let me t- t- continue with that and see if I can uh, pull some. Other than Green Room and say, like, I don't know, decline of Western civilization, is there anything that you could point to somebody and go, yeah, this is what I grew up like. This is what my influences were something like that. Is there anything out there that you could think of that you could point to if somebody wanted to know what it was like growing up in a punk band? And if you don't have an answer, that's fine. I mean, they, move on, but. they could read my tour journal that I put in some rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Um, it, I'm trying to think. I mean, so of course there's all those documentaries out there about punk and hardcore. Um, but I don't know if those are considered mainstream. I mean, it doesn't I have to be the Godfathers of, Yeah, Godfathers of Hardcore on, uh, that's on Showtime, right? That that big, uh, I'm fucking Vinny Stigma, but, you know, uh, American Hardcore was my favorite documentary about uh, fucking hardcore. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know, you could, you could watch, you could watch some documentaries about all the people who my entire community has been imitating uh, for 40 years. Yeah, Matt, Matt grew up on American Hardcore. I would say mine would be uh, Boston Beatdown and Boston Beatdown Part 2. That was for my uh, lived experience. Uh, so. Bill, why, why are you not in those videos? Are you in those uh, videos, Bill? Be honest with me. No, I'm not, I'm not pictured anywhere in those videos. I, I, I barely know anybody. and None of my friends got beat up for those videos, and I, I was uh, I, I did not get beat up. I know, I know where everything happened. I know where they're swinging around buckets on Lansdowne Street like a bunch of meatballs, but um no uh but yeah that that was that was my uh those were the most influential things in my life it's just boston (laughs) and what do you think's the one thing that has gotten punk absolutely completely wrong you mentioned the wiki article on how to be a punk but is there anything else else out that they're like yeah that is not how anybody in my entire life has ever grown up as or is there a stereotype that you want to debunk or something Oh, it's always okay, funny. Wait, like I we got were, it. Oh, yeah. You, you go, go for it. No, no, you, you go. go. You go. You go. No, you, all right. The, the, whenever they they show, like, in a movie or a television show, there's a punk show. It's always very well attended, uh, and there's, like, 400 people there, <laughs> when in reality it would be 
uh, 16 people in a huge circle in front of the band. <laughs> As 16 yeah, people you know, and I, most of them are the other bands playing. Exactly, yeah. You, you know what the thing that I see in those two is like the punk band playing at like the Pleasure Warehouse and it's like it's like a punk show slash a BDSM like mega complex <laughs> scene, you know? It's like in the sewers and there's just like thousands of bdsm girls there and like there's people in cages and stripping and stuff and you're like this is there's no place like this that exists um, <laughs> yeah you, how did they get their the electricity you know the one thing that really got it right what's that chocolate chip oh, okay so it's like uh chips ahoy has a commercial and it's oh, yeah, the chips ahoy commercial. The food commercial talk about can't get it, the punk right it, punk rock song right but chips ahoy can i'd love to hear this go for it it's it's uh it's a bunch of animated chocolate chip cookies but they have punk clothes on and mohawks and stuff and they're in a band and they go punky chips ahoy oi oi they're an oi band no they're like a street punk band and I think that they have a little bit working class might have one verse. And we actually, my old band, we used to cover that song, uh, much to everyone's chagrin in the audience. But we would be like, this one goes out to the Chips Ahoy company. And then we would play Funky Chips Ahoy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, and so what was the uh, impetus for starting to host uh, comedy shows at uh, other festivals, like Branching Out? Uh, from say the website and from the page to doing um, your you know your brand uh, the, the hard times brand of comedy out in real life. Uh, yeah, so that that kind of started uh, when I was doing stand up in Portland. There was a uh, like a like a new DIY space that was opening up. That was you know the kind of just you know improvisers will always just find like a room in a basement somewhere and then they'll just uh, start their own improv schools. That was basically the space that uh, started in Portland. It was called Kickstand Comedy Space, and so we started doing like a live comedy show there just with the Portland scene. And then it expanded to Los Angeles, which then didn't last too long. But now that I'm in LA doing the monthly shows here again. And uh, and then when you know if a nice festival like Altercation Comedy Fest or something like that in Austin will will have us, we'll we'll, we'll bring it there. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just it's just another way to get you know uh, you know, get some punks. Uh, you know, punks aren't exactly the people that uh, go see stand up comedy, so you kind of get a different crowd sometimes. So it's it's fun in that regard, as long as you can remind them that they're supposed to laugh and it's not too cool uh, to you know to laugh or something like that. So. That's that's when you have a good time. Yeah, I remember actually, Bill, uh, listening to your interview with JT uh, on the podcast a while back. So, oh yeah, JT's a great guy. Yeah, he is. I, um, I get, I've uh, uh, opened up for him when he was here a couple years back, and uh, I haven't quite been able to uh, qualify for altercation comedy yet uh, for the <laughs> festival. But you know, a guy can dream. And yeah, it's um, it's a, it's it's a fun time. One thing I really like about the stand-up shows, especially the ones we do at like Punk Rock Bone, one at uh, High and Low Fest, and like the festival experiences, I feel like our brand is perfect. If you're going to do comedy at a music festival, Jesus Christ, that really could be a, a hard times tent, couldn't it? Right. Um, and when we go and and do that, we've done it a couple times. We see people just running up to our tent and showing us hard times tattoos and excited to meet us. And I feel like. 
there's a really good possibility there. So we've been exploring it a bit. Um, but, you know, the festival world is a weird world. We haven't quite broken into it as much as I hoped. Um, but if anyone out there is running a festival and, and wants to uh, have us do live comedy throughout the day. Uh, yeah, hey, Boston Calling. Uh, hey, Boston Calling. Uh, let's get the hard times, Ted. Come on. Honestly, I, I know it's the festival's dead and it's no longer, but I feel like this would have been a perfect small tent for the warp tour yeah yes yeah. so I, I actually did do a couple of dates on the warp tour they had a comedy tent for like two years in a row joe sib actually booked it uh and it was awful um <laughs> i did a, a show in portland and seattle uh they did two shows daily uh one at one o'clock p.m and the other at four so peak heat and while black veil brides were playing 30 feet behind you and you had to scream over bad metalcore while trying to make 15 year olds suffering from heat stroke laugh uh not an easy task no yeah you're right i uh, i'm well or well known i was well known here in boston doing a bunch of uh successful outdoor comedy shows like backyards porch festas and stuff like that um and even one in a uh, outdoor amphitheater and the reason i did it is because when i pitched these ideas to other people like hey you should go do the comedy at this thing they always everyone responded with no comedy during the daytime never works i'm like all right well fuck you i'm gonna make it work and i did um and yeah it takes i mean it's possible it just you just have to do everything the right way and i can imagine how trying to work with the people at warp tour to try and make all the things that you need to do to make it work would uh not work out to to use lack of real words right <laughs> um, yeah yeah, I, I do love the comedy doesn't work during the day thing. I think yeah, it works during the day. You just think it doesn't because you need drunk people to laugh at you or something like that. It, it works whenever, you know, just just go do it right. Yeah. Um, all right. So right after you guys uh, or let's, let's ask this before we get into that. Uh, how do you keep yourselves from uh, towing the line between satire, uh, my least hated phrase that I'm about to say fake news and libel or slander. Um, where, where do you set up the boundary to go? Hey, that's funny, but that's not what we do or that's going to get us into trouble or we don't want to be a part of something like that. Um, you know, we don't really care about getting in trouble. I kind of like getting in trouble. I like causing a scene. Um, I like, uh, if it's a if it's the right target, I like making enemies and pissing people off and causing drama. I think it's funny to cause people pain. Um, <laughs> so uh, I don't really care about that. Uh, I will say that our our crew of people uh, doesn't do that kind of shitty type of satire where it's, there's no subtext and it's just wrong information. The worst example of that is a website called Empire News that is horrible. And it's like, I guess it's considered satire, but it's, it's all it is. It's just, just like Bill gave the explanation. It's like, it's like happy birthday, Hillary Clinton. And then it's not her birthday. You know, it's like, what is this? This is just, short. <laughs> this is just, this is just the wrong information. There is no satire or subtext. There's no exaggeration. There's no role reversal. There's none of the satirical tools that you normally use. It's just junk. You know, it's just Donald Trump adopted a dog today but he didn't you know yeah <laughs> uh, that was my next question was going to be are there any satirical outlets that you think are just doing bad satire or who's just getting it wrong or yeah, putting a black eye for come on. empire news okay 
Empire News and every other satire website besides us. <laughs> um, and then, uh, Bill, do you want to add anything to that? You don't have to. Uh, oh, well, yeah, we actually got a, a message from somebody on Facebook demanding that we take a picture of them down uh, and that they're going to try to sue us for libel uh, and slander, even though the headline was kind of complimenting what they were doing. And also we got the photo rights free from, you know, Wikimedia Commons. So there is no uh, so it's uh, the way we we skirt getting in trouble, uh, you know, by people taking us to court is by doing things legally and not stealing things from people. So, uh, you know, uh, it, it, that's that's the main thing is we don't steal. Uh, so yeah, we don't steal. We, we, we do it right. And I, we've told all of our people uh it's, I, I like our, our people. They have a good, you know, we don't apologize and we don't back down. We just do whatever the fuck we want. I, I like it. It's like, yeah, whatever, man. We'll see you in court then. Because, you, know, you know, all those like letters and shit, it's all fake. You're not actually going to do anything. Just shut up. Even if the <laughs> judge was like, hey, you got to take that down, then that would make me, I wouldn't take it down. I'd move the whole website like overseas or some shit. And I'd be like on a fucking weird island somewhere running my website. I don't, I didn't start. <laughs> You don't start an independent punk website to, you know, toe the line or follow rules or whatever. Sometimes I get these emails from people who are like, how could you do this? Oh, this is so upsetting. It's like, yeah, well, dude, I quit my job at a real publication to start this one to do exactly this. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> there is no adult in the room. It's only me. All right. <laughs> so go fuck yourself. I, I send people emails and say that. Just, just go fuck yourself. You have to. If you want the website to change, you're gonna to have to come to my house and whoop my ass. You know what I mean? It's like, there's, yeah, if, there's you can, no if you can come to channel. my house and beat my ass, you now get to run the website. <laughs> exactly. is, Thunderdome rules are in effect. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I uh, a while back I wrote uh, a, a review of a comedy show that. Uh, was a uh, 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 basically throw, slinging mud at Improv Boston, which is a local uh, improv theater. And basically what it is, is I went out and I mm-hmm. saw um, Nick Cannon's Wild and Out. And I wrote a thing. Oh, hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. Yeah, I mean, that is a spectacle. And I was really impressed with it. And the article I wrote was reviewing that. And then at the end of it was, this is what places like IB should be doing because they keep talking about how they want to bring in more people of color to their improv school, yet they don't operate in the areas where people of color um, live, nor are you offering anything people of color can do. Here's something that you can create. Maybe uh, work with a local hip-hop artist and create uh, a program for people that would attract them. And that's what the whole latter half of the article was, and I sent it to my editor here at Dick Boston. I was like, hey, I don't think you... I don't know if you want to publish it. If you don't want to publish this article because uh, it's me starting shit with Improv Boston, I totally understand. He goes, dude, we sling mud every day. I don't give a fuck about that. So yeah, exactly. So it's nice That's to also be in thing. a place where the adults are not in the room. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, Matt, I don't. I don't know if Matt's uh, familiar enough with Boston, but the amount of segregation that is still in Boston is insane. Uh, it is crazy. It is, and I I grew up in Baltimore, and you don't think about segregation or, or diversity or anything because you're everyone's so on top of each other. <laughs> Um, and it's such a port city and there's so many people of color around you. You just grow up that way. And you don't realize that that is not how other people live. And then I moved to Boston and I'm like, ooh, or my friends come up here from like the DC area or from the Baltimore area and they 
meet up with them. You're like, dude, where are they hiding the black people? I haven't seen one in four days. <laughs> <laughs> or I'm, it's I'm a, in the back bay area. Uh, you know, I was in the back bay area for four days and I didn't see anybody of color. And I'm very uncomfortable about the amount of white people or shit like that. Right. And, and then those <laughs> same white people are just saying, stay away from the orange line. You don't want to go in the orange line. Like, <laughs> okay, pump the brakes there, chief. Yeah. Right. Uh, or, or the, yeah, I find that the, uh, the 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 racism here that bothers me is not not so much the outward going racism. It's the, uh, I mean that does bother me. But what bothers me even more is the, um, the amount of people that think they're doing right by people of color by feeling sorry for them or by down oh. like looking down their nose at them that they need help or that they need to be to fit into some kind of stereotype. Yeah, that's Portland in a nutshell right there as well. Yeah, and it, it's, it drives me absolutely up the fucking wall where it's like, how about you just treat him like a person instead of uh, trying to make him speak for his entire, him or her, or them making sure they speak for their entire uh, ethnicity or double bullshit like right. that. The ones, you th- the ones who think they're helping, but they're creating a bigger problem. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, and then the last question um, I'm going to ask uh, before we talk about, you know, before we do the book quote question um, is when you guys started Hard Times, shortly after starting Hard Times was, if I got my dates right, the Charlie Hebdo shooting, um, mm-hmm. which is a satire magazine that was under fire for um, uh, drawing a comic of, 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 of Muhammad. Um when mm-hmm. something like that happens or something like the Pizzagate incident a couple years ago in DC, where some guy went off the rails about some dumb, um, I mean, Pizzagate wasn't really a satire thing, but kind of along the same lines, mm-hmm. kind of this supposed to be a humorous thing or whatever. And it turns some nutbag into going into shooting. When you see some of those and you're involved with the same kind of art form that these shootings happen, how does that, does that have an effect on you, not in your writing or your changing anything, but what more I'm asking, I guess, what are your thoughts when you see something like that as somebody who's in that same genre? You know, I would say um, definitely, you know, uh, insane and crazy and heartbreaking to see someone be killed over uh, a cartoon. I would also say, though, we're probably not really, it's not really the same art form between us and Charlie Hebdo. Like if you look at their other stuff, it's like, it is, it's just much, much different. I would say the, the, the subtext that they were putting out is much different than the subtext we're putting out. Um, and so I, I don't, I didn't really even connect the dots when that happened because I mean, we don't, I mean, I'm a big free speech guy and, uh, I think, killing anyone over the idea of a cartoon drawing is um, moronic and stupid. And anyone who has any religion who thinks that you should kill someone because they drew a picture of your God is a moron. But at the same time, uh, I don't really, I don't even really consider trying to be the same as, I don't even, it doesn't even feel like it's in the same ballpark. Cause they kind of do like, I think cartoonists have like, cartoonists kind of have like a long history of just like, it's kind of just like shitty comedy. That's just kind of, kind of racist and boring, you know? <laughs> um, and I really don't think hard times has, if you read our headlines and you understand the subtext, although some people are too stupid to understand the subtext, but if you read the subtext, like it's not the same message, you know? Uh, like I actually was, I think I watched some sort of documentary or something about, I think it was, 
Hustler magazine or something. Was that the publisher who got shot? Yeah, Larry Flint got shot. One? Yep. Is that Larry Flint? Yeah, yeah, well, they were saying how, like, the Hustler comedy section was, like, super influential, but at the same time was just, like, kind of this passion for, like, racist caricatures, like, way past when the rest of media had moved on beyond that. There's, like, a really interesting aspect here of, like, cartoonists do a lot of weirdly racist stuff, and it's, like, kind of weirdly accepted in that art form. Um, so, you know, I, I'm not... Yeah, I, I don't really consider it the same thing. Uh, now, yeah, like, also, the, the French just aren't funny. Yeah, the, the, the French yeah. just straight up aren't funny. Uh, <laughs> pull that quote. <laughs> um, you know, I grew up in the punk scene um, with a guy named Brace Belden who played in a band called War Crime, and he was this a great satirical frontman. And he ended up joining, I think they're called the YPG. It was a like a Kurdish rebel group and uh, killed a bunch of ISIS guys. So, uh, yeah, go fuck you, ISIS. But, uh, I don't know. I mean, how dumb, how dumb do you have to be to kill someone over a cartoon? I, I don't know. Like, I just imagine them like just drooling, you know what I mean? Just like, like just literal morons. I don't know much more beyond it. How do you feel about Charlie uh, Hepto and ISIS, uh, Bill? Uh, so fan of ISIS, not so much of Charlie Hebdo. That's uh, where I can call them. Uh, all right. Uh, is there anything that, you know, do you have any opinions towards, um, the current climate of quote unquote PC comedy or cancel culture? Because I personally, when I, every time I hear somebody start complaining about, oh, audiences are too PC or somebody's going to write a blog post about this and I'm going to get canceled, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, all right. One person in an audience may not like your joke, whether it's, you know, forget mm-hmm. the part of it's a good, bad, racist, whatever. If there's only one person in your audience who doesn't like your joke, there's still 300 other people who did like it. And I, I think mm-hmm. this, you know, complaining of, hey, cancel culture and PC comedy is killing comedy is such a false flag that so many com- comedians are trying to per, uh, perpetuate the narrative. Um, as mm-hmm. a comedy esque website about a particular brand of things, is that uh, is that something that you're? Are you seeing a similar um, thing where you know PC's killing, or is it making PC comedy make it harder for you to write jokes, or is it something that you also see as um, not really that big of an issue that even though people are making it to be or other answer. Uh, so I think with us, like the PC culture has kind of had like it's like punk roots for forever. So yeah. we've we've always just kind of made, done articles pointing out how silly that can be sometimes. So well, our, a lot of our headline, our best headlines have been making fun of those people that are doing that sort of thing because we grew up around those people and you know a lot of times I, I might agree with what they're saying but then a lot of times it's just like all right you know let's pump the brakes there i don't think that's the the biggest cause for concern right now let's uh, look at the, a bigger issue but uh yeah i think we've just been able to since pc culture has been part of uh, the punk world for so long it's just an easy easy place for us to really even start with the hard times i think it's i think it's funny when people talk about pc people killing comedy how weak do you have to be to let someone who just like complains on Twitter and it's going to grow up to be like the mom who wants to talk to the manager, kill your art. Like then it can't kill anything. They're these little fucking annoying flies that just 
make a lot of noise over nothing. We, we get a bunch of them at hard times. Um, the one that the, the people who are the most annoying to me are the PC people who are actually just have like a super low IQ and they're just not very bright and they don't read the subtext properly. So yeah, like, that's the worst. We have, a, we have a writer, um, at our website who, she was also, um, I don't know if I should say her name in this story, but anyways, she used to be a heroin addict and she's in recovery now, been in recovery for 10 years. And she wrote this article about um, visiting her hometown that's ravaged by the opioid epidemic, epidemic and uh, how she has to go visit her friends, but her friend, friends are now tombstones, right? She has to go visit a couple more graveyards to go get back in touch with the gang. Um, so this is a joke literally about her experience, about her life, about a, a tragic thing that's happening in her community. She's got a strong, strong subtext, you know, and you just get these people who are just like, this is not funny. This is a serious cause for concern. And it's like, what are you doing? Who are you concerned for? The person who wrote this joke clearly is on your side. It's so bizarre to me how they can be so, I don't know. uh, There's, I think when you get your audience is so large, there's just a certain percentage of people who truly don't have the brain power to read subtext. And they'll, so there's always just like 0.01% of people who will mistake it. And then a lot of those people end up being the PC people. And you'll have like these, these people who like try to campaign in the comments being like, you got to take this down. This is disgusting. Or I'm unfollowing like the hard times. It's really funny too. Cause you can actually look on the post about how many people you lost on each post. And whenever someone says that, I always look and they never actually unfollow. Um, <laughs> yeah. There was, uh, there was a similar headline uh, that, that there was a lot of people in the comment section that just didn't get it, but it was just like girl wearing NASA shirt has never been to space. And it was people <laughs> just being like, just leave her alone. Like, you know, she can wear what she wants. You know, it's just like, yeah, that's, that's not what this is about. It's about the people that are gatekeepers that say you don't wear a thrasher if you can't skate sort of a shit, you know, like, uh, like let, you know, it's, it's, it's insane how easily people miss these things. Or uh, 15 year olds wearing uh, CBGB shirts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just weird. You know, it's just like, I, I get emails sometimes from people and they're like, someone was mean to me in your comment section. I'm like, who gives a fuck? <laughs> what are you talking about? Why are you emailing me? It's like, I, I emailed one of the guys back. Well, maybe you guys should meet up and fight to the death. Well, what do I care? <laughs> Don't, how do you get my email? Go away. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, and finally, uh, you guys are doing a, a book signing at uh, Brookline Books um, soon. Um, at, well, that's why we're, di- we're talking about this. But um, what... Uh, what can people expect from from the new book from you guys? Uh, let's see. Well, there, there's there's going to be a map to the walking tour of all the fights I got in while living in Alston. Uh, <laughs> that's that's in the book. Um, but uh, I, I don't really know. I, we still haven't really figured that out yet. Uh, what we're doing at these uh, these live things, but uh, it's we'll, an extravaganza. We'll yeah, that's how. Here, wait, Bill, Bill. Let me t- Bill. Let me take over this part. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's the never better sales. seen before. Yeah, it's a spectacle that you've never seen before. A once-in-a-lifetime event with the founders of the most popular music satire magazine on the planet. More than just your average book reading, this is a three-dimensional 360 experience 
unlike Unsold. anything that's ever happened at Brookstone. Is that where we're going? Brookstone. Uh, Brookline, Brookline Booksellers. Perfect. <laughs> Coldstone Creamery. <laughs> uh, I think it's Brookline Booksmith. Um, we'll come, we'll come up with something good. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. it. Brookline Booksmith. That's it. Yeah. We'll uh, come up with something good. It'll be fun, and people will get to meet us and hang out. Um, I think people like that. People follow the Instagram every day. They see our stuff, but they never get to know who's behind it. And I, I, I enjoy meeting the people. They always seem pretty excited. So yeah, and Matt will yeah, get was, to see my friends with the my, my their Boston accents, which he really enjoyed at my wedding. Was he doesn't stop fucking hilarious. This is like <laughs> this is, a, this is a, some thick, thick accents at that wedding. Uh, <laughs> and just like a whole lot of that like Boston Boston masculinity stuff. Just like guys like just desperately trying to tell each other that they love each other, but they can't, you know, because they don't want to come off as gay. <laughs> uh, yeah, the Boston accent sounds funny and great uh, when you listen to guys say it, but as soon as a woman says it, it's the biggest boner killer. Oh, my God. Go into any Walgreens and hear him be like, ah, the Skittles are in aisle three, kid. You're like, oh, fuck. Oh, God. <laughs> How did you procreate? <laughs> Well, <laughs> or having to listen to you know if you're dating a what uh, a woman from Boston, just having to listen to them. It just ah fuck me harder, you fucking queer. Like oh jeez, stop it, please. Don't talk at all. I'm not queer. I'm literally inside you. Why are you calling me queer? Just shut up, kid. Before I uh, just. Uh. get in here. Show this mush how it's done. Get, get, get. Oh boy. Alrighty, guys. Um, and uh, I don't know. It just it, so I have you saying it. Uh, what's what's the difference between um, the website and the book that you guys are are promoting? Uh, the... the website. Or just like what's no. the difference between regular regular articles and and the book? Uh, so yeah, th this book chronicles our existence of the past forty years, as if we were a zine that started in nineteen seventy six. So it shows our maturation as a as a media empire but really you know it's, so we just created new articles for the 70s 80s 90s and 2000s and then we have uh articles from the website as the back half of the book so there's uh, a lot of new material there's a narrative that runs throughout the book that explains our backstory so there's a, a lot of good things that are completely original to the book that you cannot find anywhere else. Oh, I fucking love that, dude. I didn't know that that was like the first 40 years I was just like, okay, I guess they're just talking about you know that you know they're about my age, but the fact that you created a a satirical fictional backstory that's fucking brilliant. Uh, I'm glad I asked that question now. Holy shit! All right, cool. Now I'm excited for the book. A minute ago, you were just a minute ago I was just doing my job as a journalist. Now <laughs> it should be all the best articles and then like from the website and then new ones. Uh, that could become your new favorites. Um, and so we had to do a whole bunch of research. And so there's jokes as if the hard times was existing in the seventies, eighties, nineties, two thousands. Um, and that, that makes up like half the book. So there's like a ton of new stuff in there. There's also illustrations and interstitials. And, uh, uh, there's actually a narrative arc between Bill and I and all the other co-founders and editors and uh, how the company rises and falls. I'm really proud of it. It's really cool. Awesome. Sounds like it's going to be great, and I'll see you guys uh, that, and when you guys are in town on the uh, 6th. 6th. Uh, yes, the, the, yeah, you're going to be in town all week, right? Yes, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'll be visiting. Uh, yeah, um, I think visiting some friends while I'm there, so I'm, I'm going to be there a little bit early. Uh, so, Do you have uh, yeah, any, well, are you doing any shows while you're here? 
Uh, I was like, do, do you know Ryan Shea? Uh, I do know Ryan Shea very well. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was going to text him and uh, start being like, hey, give me some emails of people I got to harass to get on shows. But uh, I did Maggie's last time I was there, uh, but I think I'm busy that Monday night, so I don't think I'll be able to get back to Maggie's. But I'm going to try to find something to get on while I'm there. All right, yeah. Um, If you want to hit me up, um, personally, I'll, I'll uh, me, between Ryan Shea and I, we can give you a whole list of people to contact and uh, get in touch with to get on a couple of shows. Yeah, absolutely. That'd be great. Cool. All right, gentlemen, take care. I'll see you. Oh, um, the, the, the logistical bits. Um, so this uh, conversation, what I'm going to do is I will uh, transcribe it. Uh, actually, I'm going to have a computer transcribe it, and it's going to turn into an uh, a edited Q&A. Um, so basically, it's going to be a Q&A of sound bites mostly, and then I'm going to take the audio and re we'll release the audio as a podcast on my podcast and tag the article. So if you want to hear the whole unedited conversation, go to blah, 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 dot com. <laughs> of course, we'll be doing everything on social cool. media and stuff like that. Uh, and this would be in print and online on the 31st on Halloween. Sweet. So, all right, cool. Hey, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to talk to us. It means a lot. Not a problem, dude. I'm glad you guys, uh, I'm glad we had this conversation because um, it was good, fun stuff. Uh, and I like uh, also, you know, finally getting to talk. You know, I don't often get to talk to people with similar comedic sensibilities when it comes to both punk and comedy. So this was a, a treat for me. Yeah, yeah, it was it was, uh, it was a lot of fun, and definitely uh, excited to meet you when we're when we're, we're in town. And I'll uh, hit you up about those shows as well. And uh, yeah, and I'm sure. You know, any any Ryan Shea stand-up set you have uh, heard of him talking about fights, uh, I was there as well. So uh, those, the, the, <laughs> Dude, his those all go back. his getting hit in the head with a hammer in a home invasion story is oh, yeah. so uh, fucking good. Like, yeah, it, his, yeah. it starts yeah, out I, very uncomfortable. Because Ryan, Ryan and I have a similar um, um, setback when we do comedies that we're kind of aggressive and menacing looking. I'm him much more than I am, but uh, I still have that, like, you know, I take up a, a, a broad spend, I'm a, a lot of energy, and it can turn audiences off real quick. Uh, and Ryan has done a better job of making his um, his setback of appearances uh, and it being loud m work for him better than I did uh, when I started comedy. So it's always fun to watch him come out there and people just go, oh, what's going to happen? And then they're laughing along with him, especially when he's yeah. talking about getting beat in the head with a hammer. Or how much he hates a person who microwaved a salad. <laughs> All right, fellas, take care for the rest of your day, and I'll talk to you soon. All right, sounds good. Thank you. Yeah. talking to you, man.